Welcome to Gerard and Christine Live Life, a podcast dedicated to help motivate, inspire and encourage individuals from all walks of life to become a better version of themselves than what they were yesterday and to ultimately live a happy life. You can find us on all major social media networks like Facebook, Instagram and Strava. You can also search for Gerard and Christine Live Life on iTunes and Spotify. I hope you guys enjoy the next episode and always remember to live life. Good morning and welcome to the 43rd episode of the Gerard and Christine Live Life podcast series. Today we are very, very excited to showcase and brag to you about a proudly South African freediver based in Port Elizabeth. His na- name is Gletvein Rubicher. Um, I hope I pronounced that correctly. It's a bit of a tongue twister. In October, he participated in the Infinity Freediving Competition in Cyprus and broke three records in freediving and came second overall in the competition against some of the best freedivers in the world. For, the, for those of you who don't know what freediving is, it's diving down into the ocean without any scuba gear. In other words, the diver dives on breath hold with only the air in their lungs from one breath to equalize the pressure in their ears and sinuses. Gletvan dived to 90 meters, which is a total swim distance of 180 meters with no air, no chance to breathe, and with 10 atmospheres of pressure squeezing his chest and lungs at the deepest point. Freediving is amazingly one of the fastest growing sports in the world, and the best freedivers usually live in the Mediterranean, where they can dive all year round in warm, shark-free waters. For a South African from the Eastern Cape, with its rough, dark, cold, and sharky waters, this is truly an incredible feat. He even wore the South African undies as a speedo with pride before fufted. I used his introduction from a post that his wife actually put on the I'm Staying group on Facebook. Before we head over to the studio, I would like to take the opportunity to thank all our dedicated and loyal partners for their support. And we look forward to your support ongoing into 2020 as well. Enjoy the rest of the show. Over to Gletvain and Christine in studio. Hi, Gletvain. It's uh, awesome to have you in studio today. Thank you for being part of the Gerard and Christine Live Life podcast series. Oh, thank you, Christine. It's great to be here. So tell us, who are you? Where are you from? I know you're not, um, you're not from Cape Town. So tell us a bit about who you are and where you've, where you've grown up. Okay, so I was, uh, I'm actually one of a twin, I was born back in January 1969 in Grafenet, okay. so I'm an inland, landlocked land, a landlocked upbringing, but we do always looking around for a bit of water there. You know, so I was, yeah, one of a twin, um, uh, now as we have to put me at 50 years old now, well, 50 and three quarters, so uh, <laughs> yes, uh, we had a nice upbringing on a farm there, and uh, just outside Grafenet, a lot of... Uh, freedom on the farm go out and do our thing with hunting with the guns or whatever you know the nice free free upbringing for boys and then after that uh, yeah, i studied all my school was done at uh unit high in crawford and then i moved from there to port elizabeth to come and study chemistry yeah, because chemistry had sort of featured as a bit of a passion in my life and uh, yeah so now i'm basically a chemistry lecturer uh, lecture and research in chemistry at the university the nelson mandela university I've been here since 1991, well, sorry, since 1987, started studying and then never really left. And uh, I'm still at the institution, 
basically a, a glorified teacher. And uh, yeah, so I'm married. I've got uh, four kids. Uh, the youngest is now 10 years old, and uh, that's Griffin. There's my daughter. She's now 13. And then I have a son of 15, and then a stepson who is now 26. So we've got an interesting, busy household back home. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much in a nutshell who I am. And um, you are very involved and quite competitive in freediving. So tell us a bit about what is freediving and how did you get involved? It's not, um, it's something quite different. Um, not everyone chooses to get involved in a sport like that. So tell us how you got involved and what it actually is. Okay. Right, so um, this kind of interesting going into water probably started when we were already kids on the farm. We'd, my dad would sometimes take us and we'd jump into a, a reservoir and with all the slime and the frogs and whatever else was in there, we would be swimming in there and having fun. Uh, and then I remember uh, sort of about the age of 12 or so, we were going to build a submarine. We are going to weld a whole bunch of drums, drums together and we are going to launch this in the dam and we were going to go. We're most likely have succeeded in drowning ourselves, but uh, <laughs> fortunately that project never never went further and none of the other flying projects went any further, but uh, we did manage to get into, on, on a holiday, we'd go down to near East London and do snorkeling in the lagoons there, and that was a lot of fun for us. I was pretty poor as a uh, breath hold diver when I was at school. I couldn't do a 25-meter length underwater with as many of the others could. It was quite <laughs> funny now that I'm more capable as a free diver. Yeah, so that was sort of uh, how we started. And then uh, when I came to the university and studied chemistry, I was very really focused on my studies. And then uh, this one demonstrator in our practicals, he would be telling us, nah, he went spearfishing and tell us all these adventures. And for me being a farm boy, we were now in the city in a res, and there wasn't as much adventure anymore except in the chem labs. <laughs> and then I decided now I'll go and try this out with him. And I went out and did a bit of spearfishing with him. And uh, it was fun. I never got any fish, but I did get to see my first shark. And so it was a lot of excitement and adventure sort of sitting in that terrain. So then, yeah, bit by bit, uh, I focused first on spearfishing. I eventually got a, when I got a job, I spent my first uh, paycheck on buying a boat so that it could be <laughs> mobilized in the water. And I think that's what, what made a big difference was the mobility on the water, you know, having the boats so you could move, move around. And uh, yeah, so that's pretty much where it started. And that was back in 1990. And then it was for many years, I would do quite a lot of uh, spearfishing. I actually eventually represented SA in 2008 in spearfishing. Oh, yeah. Okay. It was the Euro Africa Championship, and we managed to qualify SA to take part in the World Champs there. And then, uh, yeah, and then after that, I was getting a bit bored with the spearfishing. Uh, I got, I managed to do fairly well in the spearfishing, obviously, making the side. Uh, and I got a couple of S, I think, four SA records for specific fish the, the largest of them ever taken and um yeah then i got a bit bored with it, it was kept on finding myself uh, trying to shoot a fish deeper and deeper and um then eventually in about 2010 i did a sort of uh, uh, i would we say the skill swapping session with a free diver mm -hmm. his name is trevor so he swapped free diving skills with me while i swapped spearfishing skills with him and uh, we had a nice nice partnership going there and uh, i learned more and more about the free diving and he eventually took me to a couple of stable dives past 50 meters. Mm -hmm. Whereas previously in my own time, uh, with very poor safety back in the day, we were sort of exploring, and that was in the late 90s. I did a 50, it was a 53 meter dive. And uh, yeah, that was kind of didn't have the right safety and all that, but it was still a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And then I did, I did the proper training with Trevor. So that was like a nice training course which I did. And the spearfishing helped a lot because of mm. giving me confidence in the ocean. You know, like when I first used to swim out to, to sea, it would be like, Ooh, I've seen the movie Jaws and there was all these imaginary sharks in my head, far more in my head than we're in the water. 
And eventually I sort of realized, okay, statistically I'm quite safe. If I see how many dives I've done and I've only been attacked, sort of attacked once by a shark, and that was more when we had a lot of bait in the water. So we've kind of mm. made a problem for ourselves. And so basically now it's relatively safe. So now I'm quite happy to actually free dive and uh, there's no, no concern about sharks as quite often you will find with, with other people. Mm. So I'd say that's pretty much how it started and then evolved from there. From about 2010 onwards, after doing mm. the freediving course, I then pushed more specifically into training for freediving. And so for, for anyone listening, is freediving literally what it is? Do you use any equipment or how does it actually work compared to normal <laughs> diving? <laughs> All right, so normal diving is a, a scuba tank on your back. So in the free diving, we, uh, you've got what's in your lungs. That's all you're taking with you to breathe. Mm-hmm. Well, you breathe once and you're just going to sap out the oxygen from that. So it makes makes it a bit harder. And, but with practice, the correct techniques, the same as with running or with studying or whatever, you can always go from being very small and seemingly insignificant to quite a lot better. Uh, so the, the free diving, if we look at the different disciplines, you can get an idea of the equipment. So the, the simplest one is... Um, constant weight no fin so this is now so perhaps i should just cut back a bit but there's pool disciplines mm-hmm. so there's activities we do in the pool which are completely separate from sea diving okay so i'll cover both of those so in, in the ocean if you're diving it's normally just for depth so you can go or how deep you can go or how comfortable you can be at a certain depth so we start off then with c and f at constant weight no fin so that constant weight means whatever weights you take down you have to take back up okay so there's most commonly, there's these four disciplines. It's constant weight with no fins. So you're basically swimming breaststroke or some version of that swimming down, down the rope in the ocean. So we'd suspend a rope with a float. You swim down and see how far you can get down, preferably nice and comfortable. And then you must turn around and come back up. If it's a competition, you'd be retrieving a, a little tag at the bottom of the rope and you must bring that back up and display it. And you have to go through a certain surface protocol where you must uh, you take off your facial gear and you must make an okay sign, you know, the fingers to the thumb and uh, look at the judge and then say i'm okay if you mess up those the sequence you're disqualified uh, so yeah you have to have, have you mustn't have pushed so hard that you're a little bit you're close to blacking out otherwise you might mess up that surface protocol so that's the one discipline the other one is constant weight bifins mm-hmm. um, so there you basically have two one fin on each foot and you swim down taking the whatever weights go down with you come back up and uh, so yeah it's normally a little bit easier the no fins is the hardest to constant weight no fins okay. then you move into the next one is uh, free immersion so there you just you have no fins on your feet you just grab the rope and you pull down pull down far down as you can on the rope and then you normally just get to about a depth where you sink from say 30 or 40 meters you'll automatically sink because you've become negatively buoyant mm-hmm. and it's the best part of it like a glide or a flight down the last part <laughs> and then you get to the bottom get your tag go, and then you pull your way up so in, in this discipline you like to actually grab and pull on the rope whereas in the others if you grab the rope and pull you will become disqualified okay. so um then the one one other discipline is where you have a single fin on your feet and that's the monofin looks like a dolphin's tail so you've got that and then that one's normally about i'd say about the easiest mm-hmm. and very efficient so um yeah, so it's the same thing going down the rope, getting a tag and coming back up, but it's normally quite a bit deeper with that and a lot easier to swim with a mono for not. And what's your favorite so, your favorite discipline? It kind of evolved from one technique to the other. The no fins I used to I used to dislike tremendously, but it was because my technique was poor. So then spending a lot of time in the pool optimizing technique, suddenly I found this is easy. Mm-hmm. And then I actually sort of sidetracked, decided to combine no fins with spearfishing and uh, did a couple of spearfishing dives a few years ago. I decided, no, let me try for a 30-meter spearfish without fins. 
and it was quite spooky at first, but eventually mm. I realized, oh, well, actually it's not that hard. And then because of the last, the good training I did in the ocean and the spearfishing skills, I could put the two together and it was quite successful. And then earlier this year, I did a, um, it was a 36 meter spearfish as well, uh, no fins. And it, it sounds crazy and absurd, but by a little incremental progression, you can, you can do crazy things. <laughs> Seemingly crazy, but not really. <clears throat> if you just look at all the steps that have gone into building the, the necessary skills. So the, the challenge at all of those vertical disciplines, my biggest challenge has normally been equalizing. Because, you know, if you can't move air between your, your mm. mouth and your ears, you might rupture an ear drum or you might uh, get a mask squeeze where the mask's too tight against your face. If you can't blow air from your lungs through, you could then have, yeah, you could have a couple of things go wrong. So that was where I battled the most with the equalizing. I used to normally get to about, well, if we go back a few years, I started running into problems at about 40 meters that I couldn't equalize, and that was my dive finished because there was no more air mm. for me to equalize the mask. So I kind of had to stop, otherwise I was going to burst an eardrum or pop some vein in my eye or something like that. And then with training and I did the initial alterations, I first started filling the mask with putty, kind of like, I don't know if you've seen the movie Big Blue. Yes. The Big Blue. Yes. Yeah. If you remember the character Enzo there, he had uh, a mask and then a little putty and he looked through these little two little peepholes he'd use that to look through. So I made that and that made an easy transfer from the mid-40s or say 43 where I was failing then I got to 53 very easily. Okay. And uh, so, yeah, so that made a big difference to assist with the equalizing. So we have to focus on a couple of factors that you've got to focus on your technique. We must get that right. If you get that right, it makes a lot of the other stuff come easier. So I'm sure you guys see it also with your running. If you get your technique right, it makes a big difference. Huge difference, yeah. Um, yeah, a really big difference. Because I was just going to ask you now, so what sort of training do you do um, to improve your skills? Are there certain types of, of uh, techniques that you have to just continuously practice in a pool environment, or do you practice in the sea as well? Uh, yeah, I'll talk, I'll talk about the training. We can make it a separate little discussion. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. so there's a lot that can be said about it. So there's a, a number of factors that we actually have to train. But I'll talk a bit more about that once I've covered the pool disciplines because we've just covered so far only the four, uh, the four most common ocean disciplines. Okay, okay. There are two other yeah, two others which are, they tend to be a bit dangerous because if you make a mistake in them, it can be a bad mistake. And those are the, what you call the no limits discipline. Mm -hmm. So in this, no matter what you, you can do whatever you can, but so you can dive as deep as you can on a, on a breath hold. You don't have to bring the same weights up that you took down. So in other words, you can get pulled down by a weight, dish the weight at the bottom, and then you can be pulled up or you can swim up. So if you get pulled down and then pulled up by floats or my electric motor or whatever it is that's on the surface pulling you back up, that discipline is is no limits, uh, okay. and obviously that's quite deep. Uh, pre the present ladies' world record is 160 meters, so you see a big jump. And then also in the males, that was is about 200. And, it was 214, and then that guy had a, another dive to short of 250, but there were a lot of problems, and he was um, yeah, he suffered a lot from that dive. If somebody wanted to find out more about it, to read up about Herbert Nist and his No Limits Dive, is a lot you can find online about it. Okay, I'll do that. So those are quite well. Mm. Yeah, so they're quite dangerous. You know, if you have a failure in your system pulling you back up, that means you're going to have to swim up on your own steam, and, and it can obviously result in, in severe consequences if you can't get back up to the surface. So uh, then there's an, another discipline, not really much in the competitive scene, but they call it Scandla Petra, where the Greeks used to do this to get sponges. They'd actually hold onto a rock. Mm -hmm. And he would dive off, typically starkers, no clothes <laughs> at all. And on they go. 
get pulled down to sometimes 50, 60, even as much as 100 meters. They'd grab sponges at the bottom and their friends on the boat would pull them back up. They'd hold them to the rope and they would be pulled back up. So that's Scandala Petra. So I'm exploring that a little bit in the, <laughs> the sideline. And uh, it's a lot of fun. But obviously your friends, you're reliant on your friends pulling you up. If they botch it, you'll have to swim, <laughs> which can also bring in problems. And then they won't be and your friends anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's it's quite hard work for the people on the boat as well because you've you've got to be trying to keep yourself hydrodynamic to be pulled up, you know, from this from the surface. Right, then others are the pool disciplines. So there you've got just straight breath holding where you just lie in the water and hold your breath as long as possible with your face submerged. And then there that's my least favorite. Uh, it takes quite a lot of mental and very specific training, which clashes to some degree with the with the depth training. Then there's also others. You swim as far as you can under the water with a monofin. So mm-hmm. that's um, dynamic, uh, basically just called dynamic. So monofin, you swim from the wall of the pool and you just see how far you can cover. And then there are, is dynamic no fins where you swim without fins. And then we also have another one um, where you swim with bifins, two fins, two separate fins, not a monofin. And you just see how far you can go with that. Okay. Right, so then you were asking earlier on um, how do we train for this. So obviously, mm-hmm. the swimming pool, what you do in the pool can complement what you do in the ocean tremendously. So if you can do a good performance in the pool, let's say I can do 100 meters in the pool, that means I should be able to do 50 down and 50 back up in oh, the ocean. Okay. If, if I can equalize and if I can stay comfortable in the water. So there's quite a few things you have to juggle. But in general, if you can do maybe, a, say, 100 meters in the pool, you should manage with a 50-meter dive once you've sorted out the equalizing and, and technique, vertical technique. Um, I actually personally think it's a little bit easier to do depth because you can get to, say, 30 or 40 meters, and from there you can stop winning, and then you sink all the way to the bottom, which is a nice rest period. Okay. Uh, and it can become very comfortable as well, a lot of oxygen coming into your system from the pressure, and then you come swim back up. Then it becomes quite hard work from the bottom up quarters of the way up and then it's relatively easy on the last part up okay. so that pretty much yeah that wraps up the disciplines so pool training benefits sea training tremendously so because in port elizabeth yeah we battle with sea conditions same as you guys in cape town mm-hmm. it can be windy you can have a gale freezing water mm-hmm. so that's our, probably our biggest problem you don't get into the ocean often enough so um i'd maybe do perhaps if i'm lucky perhaps 20 dives a year 20 ocean dives a year I've got a boat, so that makes it a lot easier, so you can actually find the depth that you want most of the time. Uh, the problem, of course, is wind. Wind mm. is probably our biggest issue. Wind and then massive swell, you can't even get out to sea because of the big waves. So yeah, that makes a challenge. Um, also, somebody who can cope in the pool would also have to be able to cope with the presence of the waves, you know, the waves lifting up and down and being not being seasick the whole time. Yes. Fortunately, I don't get seasick easily, but uh, a lot of my friends have found that they get seasick but they also with persistence and taking a few tablets here and they you know, they manage to push through it um, that does work for them as well yeah, so then we can do a lot of kinds of training so swimming in the pool you basically optimize your technique and also optimize your breath hold capability uh, there's a good number of techniques so it might just be going to the pool perhaps you've got a, a normally a target of let's say covering i want to do carbon dioxide tolerance you know because if you get a lot of co2 in your system you start feeling uncomfortable so then we'll swim in such a training method where you don't have uh, much time to breathe and you have more time swimming, swimming, swimming underwater. Mm-hmm. But still breathing enough, enough oxygen, but you have to do it such that you have a lot of carbon dioxide in your blood. That it feels disgusting and terrible and you want to quit immediately. But with practice, eventually you push through the discomfort and it actually becomes quite easy. 
um, as as do many of the techniques in the pool. You you've got to just keep working at it, at it, at it, and eventually, after enough fails or discomfort, you'll suddenly find oh, okay, I'm starting to get comfortable. And I think that's also the same with quite a few other sports. Yeah. Uh, um, obviously, diet. You're going to try and optimize your diet, not eating way too much before you go because you yeah. fill up your stomach, you compromise a bit of lung volume, and you speed up your metabolism. So you'd prefer to be not overly fit, but you still want a bit of uh, sugar in your system. Mm. So a, a really decent diet in carbs works well for me, but also protein for the necessary recovery, your muscular recovery. Other training techniques we use is quite a bit of dry training because we're stuck in a place like South Africa or Port Elizabeth here where we don't dive so often, so you need to have, have some techniques to train dry. So an example, one of the techniques I'd use is I'd put a chair in the garden on the lawn mm-hmm. and I'll sit there and I'll have a notebook and my cell phone to track time and um, well, watch stopwatch and then I'd, I'd blow out the air in my lungs and then I'd get up and I'd take a little walk in the garden. You can do it either with empty or with full lungs. Walk, let's say... 20 paces and then come back to my chair and then quickly push that up to increased distance. So I typically be walking one minute on empty lungs and then I give myself a one minute rest and then repeat this maybe 10 or 15 times. Okay. It's very tough at all. Mm. With, with practice, you get quite a bit better at it and that helps you quite a lot in the, in, in the actual diving. So doing that, you're looking at typically having short rests, short rests and uh, you know, is pushes up the carbon dioxide levels. If you're doing it on empty lungs, you find then you also t- build up quite a bit of tolerance to low oxygen levels. Okay, okay. And do you, do you train with a group or do you train sometimes on your own as well? Or do you have a group of free divers um, in the area as well that you mentioned your friends? Do they also train with you? Yeah, sometimes we do do training together with friends. If it's in the water, we always have somebody else with you because if something goes wrong, you can actually black out and drown in the pool. Mm. Uh, and there's a couple of people, I know a few spearfishermen who in the many years back that actually died that way in, in a pool training and sure. they didn't have somebody watching them properly and they can dry, and can actually drown. So you need to have good safety. If you have that safety diver present and they know what to look for, not just somebody present, that must be somebody who knows exactly what to look for mm-hmm. and they're swimming close next to you and you're watching each other closely, then it makes it very safe. Okay. But um, if you're training by yourself and something goes wrong, even world-class athletes could also they blackout and then there's nobody to help them and then there's a problem so my, my normal approach is to push it i push it when i'm dry on land or maybe lying in my bed with breath holds and then i'll push it hard till i'm uh, maybe close to blacking out mm-hmm. but i never push it that hard in the water in the pool i think i've been close to blacking out maybe three times in the swimming pool in in 20 odd year career okay and in the ocean i've never ever had it so um I keep it quite safe. I don't normally try and dive a bit conservatively and make small increments. Yes, that's important. And yeah, so, you know, it's, mm-hmm. Carry on. It's basically like, let's say I've done a, a 60 meter dive, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. And then if that's my deepest, then the next time I'm, I'm not going to jump to say 70 or 75, that's too much of a jump. And then you can invite problems. If, if, if you, you're diving close to your limit and you don't realize it, you could end up blacking out maybe five meters from the surface. So we want to try and avoid that mm. and rather rather be comfortable on all dives and then just progress you know, a, bit, a bit patient. So you've got to just keep the ego in check, you know, that you don't have a bit of a runaway bushfire with the ego and keep getting excited <laughs> as to how fantastic your capabilities are because that's often what causes problems. Is this considered, just out of interest, I'm on a sa- health and safety point of view, is this considered an adventure sport with medical aids, etc.? I mean, do you, do you need to declare this sort of sport to them? Uh... 
No, they, you, you can only, if you're going to engage in extreme sports, you should discuss it with them. And mm. then you might be covered, you might not be covered, but you can also take out other insurance that, that does cover you in all sorts of sports. Yeah, okay. Um, but it's something you have to just speak to your medical aid, your own medical aid, and to maybe your travel insurance, just to make sure that you're covered properly. And you can also get the, the Dan, Dan insurance, which covers, you know, like the helicopter flight and decompression yeah. chamber if you need it. Okay, okay. And um, your recent competition um, that you've taken part in, can you tell us a bit about that? Okay, so it was actually, I didn't really intended going to that. I'd intended going this year to another competition in the Red Sea instead. And uh, I went to the Red Sea Cup last year. Mm -hmm. And I thought now I'll go back to that again. But then for some reason, technical reasons, they decided not to run at that same competition. And then uh, a friend of mine said she's she's going to... Um, uh, competition in Cyprus and she said no I should okay cool and then uh, I looked at it chatted with my wife and she, she said no problem she's going to join with to the competition so we both decided in, in about June that we'll go and we booked the flights and whatever and uh, anyway I arrived but the other girl who was going to come with and join she ran out of money so she didn't pitch oh dear but it was a <laughs> so it was kind of funny how I ended up at the competition but uh, it was a lovely lovely place so it was in Cyprus in Larnaca in Cyprus on the south coast southeast coast of Cyprus. It's quite a big bay there with nice, lovely conditions. The waters was typically 26 degrees on top. And uh, with ours is around, you're happy if you've got 18 degrees on top. <laughs> and the, the supposed, supposedly severe thermocline, typically around 40 meters, the, the water cooled from 26 turned down to about 22, 23. That was considered quite a harsh thermocline by the locals. In our case, our thermoclines are about 10 or 14 degrees, so it was no problem to me. Mm. Yeah, so um, anyway, we flew quite a complex flight. We ended up stopping over in Tel Aviv just before flying across to Cyprus. And unfortunately, all my baggage sat there. Now, I'm taking part in a competition with a monofin and biofins and all sorts of wetsuits and weight belts and nose clips, masks, etc. Everything was stuck there. And <gasps> along comes the first day of the competition and I've got nothing. So I ran off to, <laughs> I ran off to go and buy, buy a speedo and I managed to borrow a nose clip and... Um, a safety lanyard because when we dive up and down you've got to have this lanyard that fastens you to the rope in case you get you fall asleep or whatever sometimes or something goes wrong on descent so we must be on a rope and um yeah so my first day diving was without a wetsuit <laughs> just in the speedo and no I opted to do the no fins dive instead of the bifins dive first and with no mask and uh, yeah that actually went much better than expected so i did a 55 meter dive there which was just short of the sa record was 57 meters Oh, wow. Actually, my, my, dive, my dive buddy in Port Elizabeth holds the record of, uh, this is 57, and I did a 55-meter dive there. The locals were all, how the hell can you do this? It's crazy because you're not even wearing a wetsuit. And what about the <laughs> thermocline? But, you know, with our, our Port Elizabeth thermoclines are, are severe, so they, they shock us so much that they're just not really noticeable. <laughs> Plus, uh, on the other hand, that I could also cope with that is my dive buddy, Bruce Mills, and myself. We often go diving, and just as a day, we'll – pull off our wetsuits and all our dive gear and go for a dive with, with no no suit on, just the Speedos. And uh, we built quite a bit of cold tolerance that way. Plus, we do a lot of um, cold water swimming where we get a chance. And when there's some cold water, we'll try and get into it and swim. If we can find 10-degree water, we jump in for a quick swim. Okay, okay. And even the, the one time when we went to a place called Blanco, yeah, and we did a, um, a winter holiday looking for snow, we found no snow, but we found an iced over piece of a river and we actually all got in there with our speedos and swam somewhere between three and about 30 meters under the ice. Sure. Nice yeah. training for the 
<laughs> so toughened up for, for, for supposedly challenging conditions in the ocean. <laughs> right, so, that, so that first dive was, was successful. I was happy. And then after that, um, eventually some of my gear arrived, but none of my fins. So the second dive I was supposed to do was, was going to be the bifins dive. I managed to borrow a pair of fins there from somebody else and use those and uh, set a 70-meter record. So that was 70 meters with bifins. Again, we're all diving. Every time we dive, you must go down and fetch a tag and bring that up. Crystal clean water, even at 70 meters, it was nice and light and blue and you could see far. This time I managed to find a mask at least. And uh, anyway, then only eventually on the third day of the competition, which I did free immersion, mm-hmm. the record was 70 meters and I decided I'd target 80 meters for this. And I managed to do the 80 meter dive. Oh, wow. I made a slump. All right, thank you. I put a um, a little bit of uh, putty in my mask to reduce the volume, so the equalising was guaranteed. So I managed to do that one with a with a bigish mask on and uh, the putty in with a few little peepholes. So the idea I'd managed to then set the the Bifin record. It was sixty five PUC, and I got that to seventy. And then the free immersion is now pulling on the rope. I set to eighty. And then the last day was the big challenge was uh, ninety meters, and that was with a monofin. So it would also be a record if I got it, and I managed to pull that one off. Got the tag, uh, also put a bit more putty into the mask because uh, I was a little bit criticized by the judge from not having enough eye available to They need to see your eyes on their scent. The safety divers who swim up must always watch your eye and see because they can get an idea how you're coping. Oh, okay. And um, mm. so I'd set a bit more putty into the mask but widened the gap so people could see my eyes better and then I uh, managed to get the tag at 90 and uh, yeah, managed that one nice, uh, feeling nice and strong on the surface after each dive. Except my legs on that, they felt a bit a bit wobbly, but um, I was coping fine otherwise, uh, but it felt like the last 50 metres in a 400 metre sprint, I'm sure you <laughs> may have felt that at some point while running. Yes. <laughs> legs are really tired. Yeah, but uh, we, I always judge the dive normally by how clear my head is when I'm at the top, and uh, if your head is nice and clear and you can follow the surface protocol with no delays, then it's normally good. Yeah, so that was the competition. It was quite successful. I planned to try attempt three SA records, and I managed to get the three SA records for the uh, Pythons, the free immersion, and then for the constant weight. So then, of course, uh, next year I'd like to go back to that competition, and mm-hmm. I'll be specifically targeting 100 meters uh, with a monofin. I'll, I'll make that the specific target. If I get any other records as well, that will be a bonus, but I want to try and get to the third digit now. Okay. And did you ever get all your equipment back? Did you find out where it was? Yes, we did eventually. Uh, it was just this, the airport security. They put the stuff on the conveyor belt and one of the items blocked somewhere in the conveyor belt and damned everything else up and it never got to us. So everything did eventually arrive. So my last day was all with my own equipment eventually. Ah, okay, okay, okay. And if... I mean, so is that is that a as an is that competition in Cyprus an annual one, or was it held in different locations every year? No, no it's an annual competition. So every year okay. they have it infinite called Infinity Depth Games. Um, yeah, they have a website that people can go and look at if you wanted to, and a Facebook site. Okay. Uh, it was extremely well run, uh, very very nice, nicely run. Everything worked perfectly smoothly, and uh, yeah, it was very nice to socialise with all the others. There was quite a few divers. There was um, in total close to fifty divers. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't intended to try and place well in the competition, but quite surprisingly, on the, the last day, the second last day, the, one of the chaps who was in the lead said to me, "Hey, you're lying second. And I said, "What? Oh, really?" And I was quite surprised to actually fall second overall. Yeah. And um, 
Yeah, there was no way I would have beat him though because he was was really good. He's a fantastic diver. Martin and Sajak is his name. Uh, really good, and he's got his daughter diving there as well with him. She's quite a capable lass at seventeen. She's capable of diving to depths of in the easily to seventy and up to seventy five meters. So it's quite amazing to see sure. uh, a young girl like that progress. Definitely. <laughs> And if, if someone wanted to get involved in freediving in South Africa, where's the best place to start or what should they do? Where, where should they begin if they wanted to? Yeah, so I would suggest there that they go online and just depending where they're located, uh, if they're in the Gauteng, then they can contact uh, uh, Johannesburg Freediving. Uh, there's a lady there, Janet uh, Radman, who is very good and she's sort of organizing and grouping them together and running the training there. And uh, in Cape Town, there's a lady called uh, Sophia Van Koller. Somebody could contact her. There's another group there also called Pure Apnea that also run dive training. So there are some clubs that one can contact. And in Port Elizabeth, somebody could contact me. Uh, I can put them in touch with others. Okay. And in Durban, yeah, there's a lady called Beth Neal. They could look her up online. Um, she's also linked up with the Pure Apnea crowd. So they could make contact with her. The best thing is just to look online. They could find out in, various, in the various cities close by who could help them out. And, um, yeah, no problem. They could make contact with people. There are training courses can be done in the country as well, as well as just social or recreational diving or competitive diving. Okay. It's relatively small. In and then there's a focus either on pool or on ocean disciplines. Uh, we normally restricted either to the ocean or to pools. The quarries are unfortunately either still active or not not available. But there's a quarry in in Cape Town that's quite useful. Uh, it's up to 40 meters deep. Okay. And in the Joburg area, some quarries. And there's also a bit out of town there. I think it's about a two-hour drive. There's a place called Komati. It's an old asbestos mine, which is a lovely place to go to. Komati Springs is the name. Oh, it's about okay. 50, up to 40. Okay. 51 or 53 meters deep and uh, yeah, it makes lovely diving there. And just to end off, um, what is your motivational message to anyone wanting to get involved in this? Because it obviously does take a, quite a lot of mental strength to, to keep going back and participating in this. And I'm sure everyone that takes part in some sort of extreme sport like this has their own reason why. So what is yours and what advice can you give to anyone wanting to get started and to keep going in this in free diving? Yeah, so for myself, my, my personal sort of driving force is just, I just like like the challenge that it presents. Uh, plus there's a lot of adventure. There's the sideline, obviously the benefit if I'm spearfishing, you know, I can get some food as well and fish, which is not farmed, get it out the ocean, get my own food as well. It keeps you fit. Yeah. If you want to try and do well, you have to stay fit and do a lot to, to stay fit. Um, Obviously, then if, I mean, because my kids, they all dive as well, and some of them, they're actually pretty good. Some of my daughter's good. The, the boys are good. They've all been diving quite a lot. And actually, even just yesterday, my son shot a nice fish uh, while we were out together. So it's nice and social with the kids as well. Um, I would say then to somebody new, don't think that you're not capable. Um, first go and explore, and then don't give up too soon. Keep trying, trying, trying. It can feel terrible sometimes. You will feel discomfort. And... Uh, You'll find that you can push through the discomfort. Um, on the other side of the, the discomfort, there's always going to be some point there where you're going to eventually start feeling comfortable. I mean, I can take somebody who's got a breath hold of maybe 30 seconds. I did that once for this uh, a spearfishing course I was doing. And the guys who were there, they, no, I think about a minute was their maximum breath hold. I got the one guy over three minutes before he'd, he'd finished the course, you know. So wow. just with the right techniques and that, you can make it comfortable. 
which can surprisingly become comfortable and you can manage. So, um, so my advice there is give yourself a challenge. Uh, look at expanding that comfort zone. Um, not necessarily, it doesn't have to be freediving. It can be any sport. Um, mm-hmm. But just keep persisting. Persist, persist, persist. And then also set up training training goals and programs for yourself. Um, as you learn more and more about the sport, you, you actually refine. And like, for instance, I'll plan to sit down on a piece of paper, I'll sketch out a training program for myself for the whole year. Yes. You know, starting with typical base training and then building to doing more breath holding and then switching to almost complete breath holding and then go to a competition mode where you generally actually quite lazy and just doing very few dives, maybe once a week, you're pushing a hard dive. So you, know, you can just, I'd say people must kick off, start off at a low level and then step it up, step it up. Uh, if you want to push it hard, doing the right things, meeting up with the right people. So the, the advice I'd say is find someone who knows what they're doing. Do a training course. It will give you the necessary skills and it will also teach you to do it safe and make it safe. And then uh, set your goals and revise the goals and keep chipping away at it. And with persisting, you can do amazing things. Thanks very, very much. I think the persistence. Yeah, I mean, persistence yeah, is everything and patience as well. Like it doesn't just happen overnight. You do have to practice and, and keep going, like you say. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, also just... Don't uh, write it off because of failure. See failure just as, as a lesson and then uh, move on from there. Um, I think that's probably uh, quite a key, in, well, not only in, in uh, freediving, but in any sport. Mm-hmm. Just see the failure as a challenge rather and um, go back, maybe cut back and see what's, analyze what you've done and you can always pick it out and see how you can improve it for future. Yes, it should be seen as, so a, as a lesson. Yeah, that pretty much wraps it up, uh, the advice I'd give to somebody wanting to start. Awesome. Thank you so much. I've learned a lot. Um, and um, I'd, I mean, I've heard of freediving before, but this is really like straight from the horse's mouth. So it's been really interesting. So I'm actually going to go and do some of my own reading about it now as well. Um, we are actually coming to PE to do Ironman in, at the end of March. And I've swum in that sea quite a bit there, but... Um, yeah, it yeah, it's it is it's quite volatile. So you never kind of know what you're walking into or swimming into, really. <laughs> yeah, our ocean is very consistent in its inconsistency. As in, uh, yeah, you one day it might be calm and clean, and the next day it just goes to to pieces. Uh, so it's uh, yeah, one of the things we have to deal with. Yeah, but if you guys are down here, it would be nice to meet you. Uh, we definitely should meet up for a meal. Uh, we go for a swim together. It'd be nice to meet you guys. Definitely. Thanks for joining us in the studio. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, thanks for the invite.